0: Hey, welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I'm Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by Barnabas Piper and uh, Ronnie Martin. Boys, we are uh, we are inching ever closer to our uh, our live event in Louisville on uh, on October 23rd. So, uh, if you're a listener to this podcast, and if you are, we appreciate your uh, your listenership. Mark October 23rd uh, on your calendar. This will be in a uh, in a to be determined hipster coffee shop location. Uh, in Louisville, and uh, and we're real excited about that. And pipe as long as we're doing business, let's uh, let's talk about our uh, our sponsor for today.
1: Yes, we've got Nav Press back for uh, for I think a fourth episode now. So they again reminding you, reintroducing you, encouraging you to go check out the works of Jerry Bridges. Um, Bridges is a classic, just the the influencer of so many people who have shaped our pastors and people who we look up to. So uh, also just an incredibly godly, humble man. The two books that they have highlighted are the blessing of humility and the pursuit of holiness. Uh, Both of those are timeless and timely. I think you can be both at the same time. Um, So, very pertinent for us, but go check those out: "The Blessing of Humility," "The Pursuit of Holiness." Uh, those are from Nav Press by Jerry Bridges. You can get them wherever you buy books. Both of them are books that they're they're the kind you kind of read slow and chew on a little bit because they really work on the heart. They're not just they're not sort of quick fixes on on different habits and how tos and things like that. But he has a knack for bringing uh, the gospel, the work of Christ, the resurrection. The character of God into everyday life and and how it plays out. So, uh, strongly encourage readers to check those out.
0: Nice. Now, boys, I've got uh, I've got something I want to get off my chest here, man. And this was a this was a listener suggested topic, and it couldn't have come at a better time for me. Um, so, I'll be the first to admit, I, I don't love other people's kids. Right. <laughs> so, I'm not the guy who's like, I want our house in the neighborhood to be like you know, romper room where everybody's kids come and just feel comfortable. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I have to really like put myself out there to invite other people's kids over. So, so we did this recently. Okay. And, you know, this family, they brought their kids over. Um, you know, we made some food for the kids. We made kind of a big deal out of, you know, this is your meal and and it's fun. And these kids, they didn't eat any of the food, Right. So like they, they were they were like special ordering. They were ordering like off the menu, like can you do this? Can you do this? Like I'm you know, I'm trying to eat clean, I'm vegan, you know, it wasn't that bad. But like <laughs> just, just throw a carrot at him. Yeah, exactly, man. Like dude, when I was a kid, every day in the summer for lunch, I made myself a bologna sandwich or a peanut butter sandwich, right? And I watched the prices right, and then I went and played with my buddies, like every summer. And these kids, man, they want like a like a like a pre-salad they want some like kale some arugula you know they're like brooklyn hipsters these kids so they come into my house they special order some stuff and then they start carrying it all over the place right like we have we have kind of a strict like you only eat in the kitchen or the dining room kind of thing going on in our house and and these kids man they're like carrying the plate yeah we're food (laughs) nazis man but but, but dude they got the plate they got the watermelon going all over the house and i'm just I'm envisioning this stuff all over the sofa. And um, and so the topic is, what's up with these excuses that parents make for their kids being awful, right? Um, Because this happens. And I I think, Big R, this goes hand in hand with the, like, good job buddy culture thing that you brought up uh, a couple of weeks ago on this very same program. um, In which you suggested that the parents kind of, their kids can do no wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like dude, when I was a kid, if I'd gone over to somebody's house and been like, you know, no, Mrs. Warner, I don't want hot dogs. I'd rather have a you know, a, a filet wrapped in. Your dad bacon. would
2: have your dad would have beat you up if he knew you'd said
0: Oh, that. dude, yeah, it would have been the end of me. You know, yeah. that would have been the end of me ever playing over there again. Um I don't know, man. Times have changed. You guys talk about this.
2: Yeah, I don't gosh, it's Yeah. These are tough ones. The whole thing about like parents not being able to deal with their kid being like just a wicked tyrant. Um, I don't know. Like I remember, so, okay. So I go back and I remember, I kind of remember my pops, right. And one of the big lines that used to get thrown around, maybe it's still thrown around. I don't know. But one of the big lines that used to get thrown around that my dad actually used on occasion was, um, don't tell me how to raise my kids. Remember that? like nobody mm. tells me how to raise my kids. Uh-huh. So there's this idea that I think like even when you deal with other parents and like like the, the kid is like literally in the background doing the worst thing that a kid has like ever done in the history yeah. of kiddom, but like yeah. you're you feel like like you you don't you don't feel like you can say anything because I feel like there's you can't, just this you don't culture, have any jurisdiction over. It. Like you have zero <laughs> jurisdiction even though you're looking at the parent going like you see that he's literally, like, almost engaging in the act of, like, he's murder like right now. He's urinating on yeah. my
1: carpet and you're not – Right, but you're,
2: like, but you're, like, not allowed to say anything and you're – it has to be kind of this, like, hands-off. I just have to act like everything's great. You know, your kid's so awesome. You're yeah, like I, so I don't, think I don't,
0: how he's doing, like, naked parkour in my, in my living room. You
2: know. Yeah. And I, and I don't know. And, and then like the to get the parents to actually admit that their kids are doing something like bratish or jerkish or crazy-ishness, it, it almost seems like you're not allowed to do it. But then at the same time, the conflict is like, why don't they know that? Because here's the thing. Like when my kid used to act up, I'd be like, like, I, I, I mean, my kid's acting up and I want you to tell me if my kid's acting up. And right. um, I, you know, I, I want to de- deal with it correctly because, man, I, I don't have this sort of thing where nobody's allowed to tell me my kid's a tyrant. If the kid's right. being a tyrant, we, I, I want to know about it because I want to deal with it. But like Dude, I feel yeah, like t- today, it's like there's a sensitivity now which doesn't allow well, you the, to even engage in
1: there's it. A, there's an assumption in the nobody tells me how to raise my kids or don't tell me how to raise my kids in that you're actually raising your kids. <laughs> right. as yeah. opposed to like having free-range monkeys who just right. do whatever they want and so yeah, but but i completely agree that you can't call out somebody else for for being for not doing anything like it's it's not that they're doing something wrong it's that they are not doing anything and Mm. the listener who asked this question was like what about the excuses parents make so like if you were going to be like "Uh, excuse me your son is doing naked parkour and urinating in my living room they would just be like oh johnny's off his ritalin or whatever and like they make, and you're like fine he's naked and peeing in my living room I don't care about his, I don't care about his medication, do something as a parent. So it's the, it's the excuses and just sort of that, like, is it a lack of awareness? Is it a lack of standards? Is it just sheer laziness? Like, I don't, I, I may be overly self-conscious about this, but when we take our kids anywhere, come hell or high water, I want them to be the best behaved kids in that place. When we, when we we go to a restaurant, like you sit at the table you don't run around you don't raise your voice you don't you know don't drop things on the floor and i'm not a nazi they just they do it now because they've learned how to do it But like i i want to leave no impression on anybody around me i don't want to leave a good impression i just want them not to notice my kids
0: dude absolutely absolutely yeah you don't want to be embarrassed i we sometimes you get an excuse like um so the the kids like parkouring all all over the living room and and sometimes (laughs) they'll be like oh he's you know he's he's taking karate. He's just practicing. You know he he's he thinks he's a ninja. I'm like I'll tell you right now he's not a ninja. Can I go karate yeah. chop him? Yeah, right. Like does he want to spar? You know. <laughs> like I don't but know my like, living okay, so, room with that.
2: So here's what's weird, right? So so Melissa and I, Melissa being my wife, like we we only ever had one kid, right? So we we had a very. So this is different than you guys. So we had a very quiet house, and we really valued a quiet house. And when you have one kid, they have nobody to fight with or argue with or fight with. Mm-hmm. So it, it, you can kind of maintain that level of um, of con- of control in a sense. You know what I mean? So I think for us, right, it made us. So when we were around, like when we were with family, and all my other brothers and sisters have more than one kid, or who are with friends, and they they each have like nine kids each because they're good reformed families, you know, and all that Absolutely. type of thing um it 's really weird because like it just we were so much more aware of like the level of chaos and noise that was surrounding us, and so we had to we had to really be careful about that because for us it was like well we just like by default with just having one kid, we, we don't have that, but it made us way more sensitive and aware of it. So part of us was saying, well, we do, we just don't even understand. Like, dude, if you have two, three, four, nine kids, like it's just going to be chaotic and kids are going to be doing crazy things. And then what, what happens is parents just have to go, yeah, that's just Johnny being Johnny. And I, I can't, if I, if, you know, I, I can't just stop all the kids from being kids. So yeah. what do you want me to do with that? I, right.
1: I- the idea that if you have a lot of kids, it is chaos and like out of control, is uh, is a notion that did not exist. I don't know twenty years ago. That's true. I am I am one of five kids. You know, so I grew up with three older brothers, and we adopted my sister when I was twelve. And I can tell you, my mom did not stand for chaos. A house of four boys and not a lot of chaos. Now yeah. she would send us outside in the yard and we could be as rambunctious as we wanted in our own home. But like if we went to somebody else's house and were rambunctious, right. it would not it would not be a happy day. She is one of she is the oldest of ten kids. And I know wow. for a fact her parents didn't put up with a lot of nonsense either. So it's it is a matter of like it's people just quit disciplining their kids. It's parenting, man. It's
2: back down to parenting. People it just, really is. People
1: quit yeah. and and but the idea is like People are afraid that discipline is going to harm their kids. I mean, whatever psycho babble nonsense that is, but uh, but they but in in doing that they have like they've lost the idea that disciplining your kids is teaching them how to respect other people. Like when right. I when I call my kids out for misbehaving, it's not because they made me mad. It's because they they disrespected somebody else, or they right. they something about their. Their attitude, their heart, their expression was hurtful to somebody else. Like if my if my kids are fighting, I don't yell at them because they're too loud. I yell at them because they're not being kind to each other. And I say right. that that's not how you treat other people. Right. And trying to give them a sense of self-awareness and how do kids learn self-awareness and how to be respectful unless a parent just drills it into them. And it does take drilling because kids are pretty thick.
2: Yeah. But okay. So Piper, that brings up. so that kind of brings me back to my point a little bit. So in other words, like my version of a well-behaved kid is going to be different. It was different. It is different than other parents' versions of well-behaved kids. So because a kid is a little, is having a good time, is being a little rambunctious, I feel like parents don't think that that's necessarily under the category of bad behavior because they're being a little like jumpy and loud. Whereas to me, like I always put that in the under under the the category of bad behavior because you're not being controlled, you're not being quiet, and you're not being um, you know you're not being respectful of, of the noise level of people around you. But I, I just don't know if everybody has the same line, right? No, they
1: don't. And and most people like somebody is going to be furious at me for this. And Absolutely, that's okay. and I'm, I'm com- super excited, com- completely about that. comfortable with that. Children don't hold the same social status as adults. They hold the same <laughs> human value as adults. Right. But if, right. if they're a group of like say say you're meeting as a as a it just it could be a, a group of friends or a church small group and you're sitting around as adults and you're conversing in an adult manner and a child comes charging into the room screaming. There are – there's a there's two kinds of parents. There are those who think that's a perfectly valid way to act because that child's voice should be heard as much as anybody else. And then there are those of us who say that is never appropriate behavior for a child. You don't interrupt. You can come, you know, tap me on the shoulder. I'll tell you to wait a second. I'll turn to you. We'll talk it out and, and then you'll go on your way. But like that's – the idea is some people just think kids have the same social status, which means they get to do whatever they want with the assumption that they have the capability of making the same kinds of decisions adults do about how to behave. Absolutely. But kids are, kids are dumb. Right. (laughs) Children are just not that bright and they have no awareness of what's going on around them. So they just, to give them that freedom is to give free reign to, you know, somebody without a a fully formed frontal lobe to put it nicely.
0: That's it, man. That's it. Well, boys, um, Shifting gears drastically from uh, from that, <laughs> I feel um, even
2: more confused now.
0: Yeah, I know, I
2: know. Your, your, child,
1: your child is twenty. You're, uh it's not that your work is done, but uh, you're out of the woods on that. You, you either did, you either did your job or you didn't at this point, And too bad, yeah. or yeah. or congratulations.
0: Yeah. Oh. I was an only child though, so I, I totally relate to the whole like tranquil, peaceful, quiet house. Was man. that
2: was that kind of your upbringing, where everything? Baby, was Baby, that was totally quiet, my yeah.
0: upbringing. Man, right. our house was so chill and so quiet. And then, yeah, so for you inter- now,
2: you're you're trying to navigate it with
0: two. I'm kids. trying to navigate it, and and when we introduced a second kid into our family, it was like, whoa, what's going yeah. on here? You know, yeah. like my yeah, house yeah. was like this; it was crazy. But yeah. uh, boys, we we had a listener write in and ask the question. Uh, I think it's a really good question, and maybe Big R, you can uh, you can speak to this first. Uh, why don't guys sing in church? So it's worship time. Um, the words go on the overhead. Uh, the the super hipster band starts playing. Everybody starts singing, and and there's a lot of guys standing there, just kind of stone faced. And you know that these guys ostensibly love the Lord. You know they're they're in church week after week, but they're not singing. Why why is that? I think it's a really good question. It's a really, really interesting question. Yeah, it is.
2: It's kind of something that like dudes like me are are, are you know, have been like in a quandary over and it's slightly sure. perplexed about, but, and by the way, you know, if you're super hipster, you don't do an overhead. You're like us, you go back to print because that's more hipster. Dude, It's, it's, like, it's
0: vintage. Yeah. It's
2: vintage. Yeah. We don't do overheads. Um, but, um, yeah, I think, oh, so, so what I think it is really is just, it's the lack of, um. It's the lack of emotive qualities that I would say most men don't possess, you know. So mm. singing is a vulnerable thing. Singing sure. in some ways kind of taps into to more of like a, a you know, a, a feminine quality. And I think guys just um, for them to have to be that exposed and to have to do something that is, you know, expressing themselves in a way that is not, you know, that is not aggressive. I think they just right. struggle with that. I think they absolutely just struggle with that. I mean, even as a, even as a guy talking to you guys right now, as a guy who made his living for years and years, like singing in front of audiences, that was different been singing in church so there's two different ways to go about that so you you know dudes have no problem with like driving down the road singing to their favorite bands and artists and songs but when you get into a church setting and you're singing songs that in general all you know are are about praising the lord that are about some of the 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 vulnerable issues that we deal with um man i just think it's antithetical to how men are created and built in some ways and maybe it's just the way the culture has formed us and made us to be i don't know pipe what do you what's your take on that
1: well two two things come to mind. i I agree with what i agree with what you just said i think on a very practical level i don't think most people grow up in a very musical context like singing is not a part of people's upbringing and so like i grew up in church multiple times a week where music was part of that but then i was also in music in school all the way up into high school and so so it it doesn't seem as foreign to me, uh, yeah. particularly the church culture side of things, though. But like we didn't sing as a family and things like that; we weren't a super musical family. But it's it's interesting that you say that singing is a maybe a more feminine thing, or at least the expressive aspect of it, because I think historically that's not really true. Probably, I, yeah. I and mean, here's the thing: is like it's not true in the military. Like yeah. military cadences are songs. Now, granted, they they're not terribly melodic, but there's. There, yeah, but you're like
0: stomping around with a gun when you're singing those, so no, it, it there, feels a little bit different. Why
1: don't we try that in church? Maybe, you, well, maybe if Donald le- Trump becomes president,
2: <laughs> I think no, I think the, I think what you're saying is true. To interject here is that I think I think you know maybe we're just maybe what we're going to do now is define that there's been a problem with uh, music culture in the church in terms of the songs that we're singing. I mean, tap yes. into a little bit more of that feminine element exactly. rather than songs that can be you know, something that is is going to be a little more masculine. The guys in, can't
1: in sing in the key of Tomlin.
2: Right. Like it's just <laughs> – yeah. and,
1: and, and the love songs to Jesus are mm-hmm. – uh, like there's a distinct difference between a mighty fortress is our God and like in the secret, in the quiet place, which is like just the quintessential yeah. creepy love song for Jesus. And these – those are sort of the spectrums and most churches have gone – Really happy, clappy. I mean, this. So there's there's a website called Five Thirty Eight, which is it's statistical analysis. It's it's run by ESPN. Nate Silver is in charge of it, so he's the guy who does. He's done all like the presidential election uh, statistics and and Mm -hmm. projections last several years. They did a statistical analysis of Christian music.
0: Mm. Oh wow! And uh, and basically,
1: basically what they came up with was it's all really happy. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think that's what draws out expressions in in guys the same way. There has to be some – it has to sound right for one thing. And so like that tinny, Tomlin-y kind of music is just not going to do it for a lot of guys. But it also has to tap into something powerful as opposed to kind of flimsy and cheesy and feely.
0: Right. And is, is, is Tomlin the one that looks like he bench presses Buick's? Am I thinking of the same guy? No,
1: Tomlin
0: – One of those guys is huge. You know no, what I'm talking about? He's
1: a Tomlin's a little guy. Oh, okay. He's, Who am I and, talking about? And here's the thing are. is like his his songs are pretty good songs lyrically, but like stylistically, they're just they're mm. in a key that's too high for the average guy to sing, and they're just sort of Yeah. They're just kind of high pitched and and soft.
2: Well, mm. and again, that's and, and then what happens is you get you get worship leaders or pastors that are that are also, you know, sensitive artists, and and the trend over the last 15 years has been a higher, higher range of vocalizing, and so that that just bled into the church. So it's just high, being a higher singer that 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 culture that's come out of pop music in general for men just bled into the church. It's not necessarily Tallman. You could also blame that on Radiohead too, because and Coldplay, all these higher pitched singers that have come in and that's kind of bled into the church for sure. But, um, yeah, I think, I I really do think that lyrically, um, you know this lack of this 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 lack of sort of confessional type of songs, which again the reform movement has kind of brought those back quite a bit, which has been good. Some of these darker, more confessional kind of songs mm-hmm. that that feel a little more i hate to say masculine i don't I, I don't really know how better to describe them other than saying that they're tapping into emotions that feel a little bit more that were written and and, and driven by um i don't know emotions that are that are going to feel a little more uh They're they're going to feel a little more real, a little more, a little more that men are going to be drawn to. I would, I would say. I would say,
1: I would say, even the style of how they are played and and the the tunes themselves. Like, just remove it from church music and go to go to like just pop radio. Most top forty hits are bigger hits amongst women than they are men, and it's because. They tend to be those they're upbeat happy kinds of songs. You get like Pharrell's Happy, for example, which was what right. the summer song of two summers ago or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like none of that stuff resonates with me. None right. of it. Right. But but like soul music does, jazz does, blues does, songs with like that, that are heavy. Yeah. And and they can even be like lyrically really positive, but they have they have some drive to them. They have weight. Yeah. They and and there's weight. there's yeah. very little of that in church music. Uh, at least in in the modern worship movement
2: yeah That's um, no, well said it 's well said i think it 's a i think it 's a struggle too i mean I mean, Ted. What do you think about that, man? Because I mean, you've been through. I mean, you know, you've been through some. I, I know your story, having been in a few different churches the last mm-hmm. half decade. I mean, what what kind? And, and I know, you know, because we're friends. I know denominationally where some of these churches have yeah. you know w- yeah. landed. What, I mean, what what was what did you see kind of going through maybe some different cultures of music in these churches?
0: Yeah, I mean, thankfully, you know, the the churches that we've been in a part, you know, a part of over the last decade decade and a half they've all been really solid theologically um the worship has all been you know robust in the sense that you know the songs are really thoughtful the songs are really reflective of you know what not only what you know life in a fallen world looks like but what the gospel looks like in light of that so you know you didn't get the sense that you were singing these you know kind of vapid sappy Mm. love songs uh, to Jesus. And and honestly, for me, all kidding aside, like, you know, over the last decade or so, like I've really come to enjoy worship because I think, you know, growing up, I was, you know, I was probably more of the stand there and just gut it out until it's over kind of guy, you know, uh, in yeah. part because it was the Midwest and in part because, you know, like the, the tough guy athlete thing. I mean, you you know, there was no encouragement to just stand there and like sing my heart out. You know what I mean? <laughs> but um but yeah worship I, I would say has become a lot more meaningful as i've been led in it by some really good really authentic people and and in none of these churches has worship been a performance you know i think yeah you know being the cynic that i am one of the things that i hate the most is the sense that you know i'm sort of being pandered to or entertained or like You know, led in worship by a bunch of hot, insincere people like that's that's not what I want at all. So um, the churches have been different. The styles have been a little bit different. But I think the the heart has been the same at at each of them where, you know, it's just really authentic people who want to honor the Lord with their music. And, you know, they're not perfect. They're not doing everything, you know, exactly, you know, strictly by the book or whatever. It's not plastic um, right and I
2: think what you're saying is is if the content if the content is driving those other things ultimately men yeah. will men will attach themselves there's, to the content yeah.
1: there's yeah. a leadership style that goes with that that is just it like it's it is authentic in the sense of a, a person up front just being themselves. They're not sort of like the whispery, wispy worship leader, you know, who, Oh, who I hate in, that. Who introduces songs and let's go yeah. to Jesus, you know? And you're like, I don't even know what that means. They just, they speak from the heart and then they go into music and they, they sing their hearts out. That's another thing. I mean, it's one thing if a worship leader hits every note, but if they sing their heart out, it's a lot easier to sing with them because they cover up your mistakes. You don't like they're setting the tone of, Authentic, expressive worship without trying to be perfect or sing in a way that you can't or whatever it is. And yeah. And I, I mean, I, I completely agree with what Ted just said in terms of the, the pretty people putting on a performance versus just that somebody who's maybe not perfect, but they're just, yeah. they're kind of charging into worship.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, boys, we're, we're going to set yet more records for uh randomness yes. in, uh, in podcast topics here today. This was another, uh, listener suggested topic and this person wanted to know uh what our favorite cartoons were from childhood um so thinking back man to those idyllic days um of saturday morning cartoons of Keeping saturday morning cartoons of Keeping watching actual, alive here on the rant of watching actual tv which our kids probably know nothing of <laughs> um tv with commercials and and you know shows that you have to watch at, at certain times uh what were what were your favorite cartoons boys
1: Mm. ronnie i feel like you had a deep love affair with certain cartoons
2: yeah dude you know what man i uh i'm just i'm just trying to think of what i watch i i think if i had to if i had to pick one that sticks out this might be a, just a couple years before your guys's time i don't really know but it would be a, there was this cartoon program called the super friends that came on in the oh, like the yeah, early to mid the 80s friends. yeah Absolutely. and so it was uh you know, and again, I'm, I'm not like a comic book guy, so I, I don't know if it was Marvel or DC. You know, I don't, I don't know who was informing it and all those types yeah, no of things. But, you know, it was just uh, – it was uh, – you know, so you had like your – you had your standard cast, I think, of like Batman and Robin and Wonder Woman. And then you had some, some bizarro – some fringers they bring in like
0: aquaman every once in a while
2: aquaman or the one i'm thinking of was the wonder twins were on it who i don't think you know kind of you know i don't don't think they were at the height of superhero popularity through the ages and so i don't know it was just because i because i i liked the whole superhero thing back in the day so yeah so they would have their standard guys on there that everybody had heard of and then they'd bring in these fringy superheroes that i was always really fascinated with you know being kind of an underdog guy i really loved to see what they were about to do and what they were going to do yeah, you dealing. get a
0: little Green Lantern like once a month, little
2: Green Lantern with the ring and the whole yes. deal. Yeah, so i i I liked, I liked that, and then and then there were and then there were just weird ones. Like remember the Smurfs, you know, that I felt like I was forced to watch because my little sister loved it, and you know, stuff yeah. that was like you sat there and you watched it, you didn't love it, but you know, you could always have that fourth bowl of cereal, and that would kind of keep you going through it <laughs> while your parents were up there sleeping. And um, it's the and true you were Calvin
1: just- and Hobbes existence. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So it was just uh, I think there's there's a, even more than just favorite cartoons. There was that culture of like when you're young and you d- before you started sleeping in late and you actually woke up early on Saturdays and there was nothing <laughs> greater than having just un you know, unaltered bowls of cereal after cereal while you're watching program after program. Dude, deciding you, got cereal,
0: what you-, you got access to the TV. What more do you need? You exactly. Know?
2: You're like living the life that, that only your dad would be living it every other time of the day or at the night. You know, Your and dad you would be living if you didn't minute. have you, you
0: know, <laughs> <Right>. ironically.
1: <Exactly. laughs> uh, I didn't grow up with a TV. So like that experience, for oh, me, it, was, right. it was even more of a mountaintop experience because it was like it was when I would spend the night at friends' houses or or be on oh. vacation or something like that. So, I mean, yeah. I remember we would go like we would do like a get like a timeshare at uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina and spend a week. Uh, we get the beach for vacation or something, and I and it would be that experience, you know. So everybody else is sleeping, and I'd get up and do this, and and the show that that I loved more than any, and I still think this is the best cartoon is Animaniacs. Wow, okay. Animaniacs okay. was that's a
2: Spielberg I, thing, right?
1: It was, and it didn't work yeah. because it was it was put on during like Saturday morning cartoons, but it's really an adult cartoon. Like it was most, too clever. Wasn't most it? of the jokes are they, they have there are too many cultural references. There are too many different things. And I was a little bit too old for like for the typical Saturday morning cartoons. You know the Smurfs and whatever else. Like because yeah. this was you know it was probably when I was you know ten eleven twelve years old. And uh, but Animaniacs, I was just just old enough to start to understand those jokes and get how clever it was. And I went back and started watching it with my kids, and they didn't get it at all. And I was rolling. I, like you loved it, it's you still hilarious. It. Yeah, and then other than that, I mean, for me, it was like there was uh, some of the Batman cartoons were cool, but I just the classics like Looney Tunes, just the the classic yeah. Looney Tunes, always, always a favorite. Dude, those
2: are hard to beat. Those are hard to beat. I mean, yeah, there was some, you know, and what's funny is when you go back to the cartoons of like the early classic cartoons, like that was total adult humor on those things. Yes. You know, yeah. it's it's remarkable that like with kids enough, even locked into this
1: enough slapstick that a six year old is going to bust their gut because, you know, Daffy Duck gets hit in the head with a, a hammer or something like that.
0: Right. Right.
1: I liked I liked uh, like tailspin and duck tails and, and some of those as well. But but See, like, that's a
0: generation after yeah, ours. Yep. Our, you know, yeah, for sure. Yeah. When,
1: and again, I think I was a little bit old for for those, but they mm-hmm. but they had enough sort of. They, they had enough cleverness that I didn't think they were like childish and and kiddie at that time. But Animaniacs still takes the cake as my favorite.
2: Yeah, and cartoons have come a long way. Like I remember when I remember when Bethy was watching cartoons, and there was one that I loved. Man, I used to wait for it. It was called Recess. And it was just the story of these like fourth and fifth graders at school. But the humor was it's like they wrote it for adults and somehow kids could lock into it as well. But those always really fascinated me because it was like, no, let's sit down and watch recess right now. Like, I'm stoked. Let me go grab some food and something to drink. Like, like we're going to make like a thing out of this. This is going to be the daddy daughter moment that we remember, like throughout all time. And I think it kind of still is. If only you um, had
1: Instagram. I know I if only fry. if only I
2: could have uh, if only have done, done a photo journal <laughs> like I did at the uh, the Indians uh, Rangers game the other night you know if only right. I if only I had that power and I didn't
0: Okay so Vigar, you, do you remember do you remember a cartoon called uh, He-Man? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, AKA the most yes. The most homoerotic thing ever made. Oh, it's uh, it was
2: unbelievable. It was <laughs> that unbelievable. Makes the,
0: that makes the volleyball scene in Top Gun look like look like like a church thing, you know? Oh, absolutely. In terms of yeah, being absolutely. homoerotic is what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah,
2: it was it was I mean, there were, and, and to be honest, Big T, I mean, when you go back to like the early to mid 80s, there were, there were a lot of cartoons with just some really, really strange overtones. If you go back, we really like,
1: were. I'm pretty Dude, sure those, remember- those inspired Ace and Gary, uh, the ambiguously gay duo. I'm pretty sure that was drawn straight yeah. <laughs> from like those those uh, that was SNL, right? Yeah. Was,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm pretty I mean, sure that, I'm I'm sure pretty did, sure that yeah. was from their childhood cartoon experiences. I'm yeah. sure. I don't
2: doubt
0: it. Big. I remember Thundercats.
2: Yeah, like I never – so I never, I, I know Thundercats, but that wasn't one – again, now remember, I was fighting with a brother and a sister for cartoon time. Oh, that sure. was just not one that – it was there, but it, it never got locked into, but, but I know it. It wasn't
0: heavy rotation. I th- it I just think was my not favorite. a rotation. When I was a little kid, I was I was heavy into wrestling, like pro wrestling, yeah. like WWF pro wrestling. And there there was a cartoon version of that where like the good guys and the bad guys from actual wrestling, which is a fake thing. Um, so there is no actual wrestling, but, um, but they, they would have these little scenarios. They'd be like fighting crime. Um, so you'd have like Hulk Hogan and, and like Andre wow. the giant, like in a, you know, in a van going out to like, you know, solve the caper of the, of the bank heist or whatever. Um, I lo- love that thing, man. Well, that, that was, that was good time. Yeah. And
2: there was like, and there was kind of like a, there's kind of like an innocence too. I think to some of the old car. I feel like, like when you, if, if I, if I ever catch like a modern cartoon, I feel these cartoons and like be mimicking like the, you know, sort of like the attitude that these things like put out there, you know what I mean? So maybe it's because I'm getting old, I'm getting old grandpa about it now, but they, they seem just kind of, they seem really cynical and snarky now, not all of them, but some of them that, I, that I've that i been able to watch in recent Pretty years, I don't, yeah, I don't know. They're
1: not terribly upbeat. I, it's not a cartoon, but it, it, I think it came right after cartoons on Saturday mornings and it may as well have been a cartoon because all the characters were so fake, was uh, was American Gladiators
0: oh dude that was classic they, they
1: basically look like plastic people so i'm pretty yes. sure it was hit at a cartoon aspect but yes absolute complete and total classic i had the action figures and everything you know with like oh, the, the little the little zip lines and their uh yeah the, the little jousting pads and all that that was oh it was
0: so phenomenal
2: yeah i don't have dude, any experience with that though. yeah i don't have any experience with that. yeah
0: big r it was all these like steroidal like oh complete. freakish people who 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 probably barely made the cut, like they weren't good looking enough to be models and they weren't quite athletic enough to be like pro athletes. So they created this platform from them which was yeah, they would they would get dressed in spandex and like And it was all uh, red, it was all red,
1: white and blue stuff.
0: It was all red, white, and blue, very patriotic. So they'd be like climbing over walls and like hitting each other with those huge sticks. They, with like
1: they would they would compete against contestants. So they would have the uh, they would bring in like this that's is right. This is Roger. He's a former Division One running back, and yeah. uh, Roger is going to compete against you know Steve over here, who's a you know he's a he's an accountant, but on the weekends he's a bodybuilder or whatever. And uh, right. and they would run this obstacle course with the with the gladiators essentially being their opponents and trying to stop them. So wow. they, would, they would have to like run through tackling dummies and they would, they would, have, they would get on these, you know, these like stanchions and have to joust with these, with these pads and try to knock the other person off. And yeah. and all of them are just oh, roided, great. roided up and spray tanned and oiled <laughs> spray
0: tanned and like oiled and, 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 and you the, know. the
1: like late eighties, early nineties mullets. And they I think they all yes. have the exact same haircut. Boys, it Uh,
2: sounds like a dream. I don't know. I'm sorry I missed it. It sounds like an absolute joy.
1: You too. Yeah, it really was. You will go into a a deep, dark hole of amazing. coma? It's amazing. You would love it.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, boys, we've truly wandered uh, to and fro from uh, worship style to um, parenting to uh, steroids and, and spandex from the 80s, guys. It gets no better than this. And uh, we appreciate the boys at Resonate Recordings for making us sound good. There was a little uh, a little choppiness there with the audio at the end. Um, those guys will work their magic on that.
1: And you, listener, uh-huh. will never know it existed.
0: They'll never know it existed. They don't know what we go through. They don't I, even know, they know what
1: we're don't talking know how we, about right now, Big T. They
0: literally have no no concept of what you're saying. I, I want them to know how we suffer for this medium. You know what I mean? They see they see just the glitz and the glamour and the 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 hipster coffee shop gigs in Louisville and the 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 t-shirts that we're probably never going to get from Mission Aware. That's all they see, you know?
1: <laughs> Speaking of hipster uh, hipster coffee shops, one listener did uh, did call out Ronnie. Um, uh-huh. So Ronnie posted a, a sermon preparation photo of what looked like multiple moleskins and a Bible and pens <laughs> at a picnic table <laughs> with sort of a, a lush green background. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, we're just- and they – they this just is why I'm the, not on social media They wanted you to defend your hipster your hipster photo <laughs> and I responded and said, I'm not sure that's actually hipster because there's no coffee in the picture And they mm. responded back and said, well, true hipsters never put down their coffee so it couldn't be in the picture. Wow So, so wow. Ronnie, uh, what do you have to say for yourself Mr. Sermon prep at the picnic table? Oh. Well number
2: one that was that was those were not moleskins. that was that was courtesy of saddleback leather and um, you know I didn't is have that any even coffee more
0: expensive in, than moleskin like oh, each it's, page is leather. Oh, he's pages leather.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I had about four thousand dollars worth of like journals sitting there on that (laughs) on that dead picnic table. Yeah, I have no, I have no defense. That was not a hipster. That was not a hipster. That was not a hipster photo. And a true hipster would have known that that was not a hipster hipster pick.
1: Yeah, it didn't strike me as hipster. It uh, it did strike me as sort of the yeah. It was like the reflective pastor photo. It was very
2: reflective and idyllic, and a guy that is just getting ready to preach in a few days and has nothing. Like all preachers that have to preach in a few days, so that yeah, that's that's what that was. Well,
1: I'm, I'm glad you clarified that. So, listeners, you, in particular the one who called that out, you need to get your hipster radar tuned in a
0: little bit better.
2: Right. So, listeners, back off. Back
0: <laughs> that's off. Good. That's that's iron sharpening iron. That's hipster sharpening hipster. I mean, if you want to you know? see some
2: hipsterness, you need to come to live in Louisville because we're going to be in the town for which hipsterness was practically invented, and you're going to get just a large dose of it. So, again, that's just another opportunity for us to promo live in Louisville, October 23rd. And uh, we, we need to see a turnout for this, don't we, fellas? We need to see people literally getting in their cars and committing to come to a city of which they're either familiar or unfamiliar with and supporting our podcast. Do you agree? Absolutely.
1: I think so, Absolutely. and I, I would say by uh, by first week in August, we will have something up online where people can start to – uh, reserve some spots for that, so we will we will commit to have that up by the first week in August. Probably use Eventbrite for it, and uh, we'll put it up at the Blazing Center, uh, so people can so people can start to to find their way to that. Absolutely,
0: I love, I love it, boys! I can't wait. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be magical. Is what it's gonna be. Um, it's gonna be like American Gladiators minus the the steroids and the spandex and the.
2: Why do you say yeah. minus? Why do you say minus? Well, it doesn't have to be minus.
0: I I'm mean, keeping an ster- open mind about this.
1: Steroids are that, expensive. So. I think we can do the spray tans and the mullets and the uh, and the, the unitards.
0: Dude, I, I mean, we'll, do, we'll do a American Gladiators app. We'll do a Colvy app. You know themes. Al Moeller. Al Moeller. Yep. I love it. I love it. Well, boys, we truly have wandered to and fro. Uh, it has been a pleasure, as it always is. And, um, Pipe, I saw that uh, that that Rachel Held Evans is going after your pops again on Twitter. So. Uh, <sighs> Yep. So until until next time, big size, and uh, Rachel the Held Evans.
2: Hey there, it's Nicole Eunice from the How to Study the Bible podcast, and I'd love to invite you to join us as we weekly discover a passage of God's Word together, from beginning to end, from principles to practicals. We are here to make sure that God's Word is powerful and relevant to your life. If that sounds like something you're looking for, I would love to invite you to subscribe. You can go to lifeaudio.com and search How to Study the Bible, and we'll see you there.